You're listening to the Fertility Docs Uncensored Podcast, featuring insight on all things fertility from some of the top-rated doctors around America. Whether you're struggling to conceive or just planning for your future family, we're here to guide you every step of the way. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Fertility Docs Uncensored. This is Dr. Carrie Beating from the Fertility Center of Las Vegas, here with my two delightful, charming, and um, bright and shiny friends, Dr. <laughs> Susan Hudson from the Texas Fertility Center. Hello. And Dr. Abby Evelyn from Nashville Fertility Center. Hi, everybody. How you guys doing? Doing good. Hanging in there. So I'm super excited because this week, <laughs> And you bounced when you said that, Carrie. So I know you are super excited. I know, right? So, I mean, if you can't bounce about things that you're excited about, even if you are, I don't know if I should say my age. I don't know. I'm older. I'm old enough that I probably shouldn't be bouncing when I'm excited, but I'm excited. You're still young. Bouncing's all good. So our clinic just had a groundbreaking ceremony this week because we are building a new building. And I can tell you how excited I am about all this. We've been planning this forever and ever, amen. And, and this is like, okay, this is going to happen. And I'm so excited. So did y'all do like the ribbon cutting and the whole like sticking your foot in the ground, groundbreaking thing? Like there are pictures of my partners and I with a bunch of construction folks, like all wearing hard hats. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, there's this just line of dirt, uh, of shovels in the dirt. And yeah, and we're all like, sticking our shovels in and, and talking. Oh, how fun. Like right now it's a huge pile of dirt and it's not even a pile of dirt. It is like an empty lot because we are at the beginning of actual building, but we've gone through all the design and it's so exciting. Is it going to be a whole building or, or like, is it going to be just your office or? Is it for the clinic or clinic and lab or? All of the above. So it's clinic, lab, surgery center, all in one big building and we've been like our current center is there's enough space for like especially for lab and for the surgery center where you have to have an x you know x amount of square feet to get it done like there is enough space but on the clinic side where we have all the staff we're sitting on top of each other um because because we are um and not even in the fun vegas and on top of each other kind of way like it's the <laughs> you know i let me elbow you and if i elbow you just a little bit to grab the stapler to grab the whatever um you know coffee goes flying whatever so <laughs> we're, we're in dire need of more space and when's the estimated time of completion uh, they told us a year so i figure a year and a couple year months. and a half yeah yeah, like I'm I'm deliberately talking myself down of when it will actually happen because I'm assuming, as with all building things, that it will take longer. But I mean, it, when we were going through the planning process, turns out that things like outlets and lights... Oh my, big deal. Big deal. Big deal. And in a lot of space and figuring out like, okay, how can how can you fit everybody in? And like a giant game of Tetris... Um, well, and you know, even things like we're on the fourth floor and we were designing our office, the elevator is not real big. And so like if we had to, you know, because you have to always plan for emergencies, if we had to get somebody from our surgery center, obviously we had to make sure the doors were wide enough, the hallway was wide enough, and that the stretcher can fit on the elevator. And it can, but it's a real tight squeeze. Yeah. I remember hearing a story when I was in training. And this was through kind of a, a friend of a friend who's a family member who was in medicine. They'd redesigned this like huge, fancy new ICU. 
and they didn't work out the elevators. And so you couldn't fit the stretcher in the elevators between the OR and the ICU. And yeah, bad news. Can't do that. I delivered a baby on an elevator. Really? I did in residency. That's kind of exciting. Wow. That's pretty exciting. It was somebody. So the way it worked was normally like when people came in to deliver, they would go straight up to labor and delivery. Well, this lady ended up going into the ER and ended up getting a little (laughs) delayed down there and they called me down. And so I got down to the ER and we're like, okay, let's bring her up there. And like literally on the elevator, I caught the baby. So that's traumatic. A stretcher or a wheelchair? A stretcher. She was on a stretcher. So wow, that could have been an episode of ER or something. It could have been back in, <laughs> back in the day. Yeah. I remember in our labor and delivery when I was in residency, they, they had a camera outside because like labor and delivery is always locked down as our newborn nursery. Like that's just what hospitals do. So there was a camera so that the lady sitting at the desk would know what was happening outside. And she looked in the camera and she's like, that's a weird bulge. And this woman's baby had come out in her sweatpants. Wow. Oh my goodness. Like this was an experienced mom and... Or maybe not that experience. I'm not sure. I don't remember. Um, <laughs> that was several years ago. But um, like everybody was fine. But the the L and D stories are mm. are special sets of stories. So hopefully your new office is going to create a lot more L and D stories, right? <laughs> and hopefully none of those stories will happen in our office. Hopefully yeah. it's just going to be peace and love and sunshine. That's right. Exactly. So Abby, what's our question of the day today? So our question of the day today is, listener asks, is it safe to get pregnant with a hemoglobin A1C of 9.6? However, I am also actively trying to lower that number by eating healthy and doing some exercise. So what do you think, Susan? Is it safe to get pregnant if your hemoglobin A1C, and you might want to explain what that is too, is over 9.6? So hemoglobin A1C is a marker of your average blood sugar over the past three months. And to me, it's one of like the best markers because you can't cheat it. I mean, (laughs) it's not like you can be good for a few days and it's going to go up or down or, you know, that type of thing. So you can cheat it, but keep going. Oh, don't. You, You can cheat it if you're anemic, but that's about it. So, but back to the question of... Back to the question. Okay. So in general... We know that our best pregnancy outcomes are going to be if you have a normal hemoglobin A1C, which is generally 5.6 or less. But in most cases of somebody who has diabetes, which you obviously have diabetes because you have a quite high hemoglobin A1C, we really, depending on the doctor, somewhere between a range of 6 to 6.5 is where most people are going to want you to be at um, for you to have your best pregnancy outcomes. And I would say, in my opinion, if you have had such poor control that you have a hemoglobin A1C that high, we really want to have a good track record of you having very good control because even when the baby is that little bitty embryo and it's forming all the organs, when we have those high A1Cs, that can lead to pretty serious things like birth defects, especially cardiac defects. It increases risk of miscarriage in general. And if it continues during pregnancy, it can have some pretty negative outcomes. What What do you guys think, guys? Yeah, I agree with everything you said. You do worry about all kinds of different malformations, spinal malformations, and 
generally you want it 6.5 or less. And it usually takes kind of a few months to kind of get in that range of pretty tightly controlled blood sugar. So I think it's great that our listener is really working on it, but hopefully she's working on it in conjunction with her doctor She because she may really have to control her blood sugar a lot more tightly than what she's used to. Uh, and and I would agree with everything as well. Sometimes in cases like that, you really need to, in addition to watching what you eat and and exercising, you need to get on stronger medications. A lot of people need to be on insulin who weren't necessarily on that before. And they're really not excited about that. They're trying to avoid it. But the perspective that we have is going into pregnancy is if your if your diabetes is that legit, that your A1C is up to above nine, then you're probably going to need extra control because being it, being pregnant itself, the placenta is a tricksy little organ and it increases your um, your insulin resistance because it's going to favor the baby. If mom's insulin resistant, that means that less sugar is going into mom's cells. There's higher sugar in her bloodstream so that more of it can get to baby. Um, and that's part of what leads to problems. But just the presence of the placenta even in someone with no history, increases that. That's why gestational diabetes is a thing that then appears and goes away once you get rid of that that pesky little nine-month organ that's a miracle working organ um, that is the placenta. But the oftentimes it's really helpful to meet with your endocrinologist, get on insulin because when you are pregnant, most of us favor insulin as the drug of choice to get you in the best place, sugar control-wise, for your pregnancy, because we don't want you to have any of those risks. No, no heart defects in the baby, no um, miscarriages, you know, all, all sorts of things that can cause problems, both during pregnancy and immediately after, you know, we want it to be as good as we can. And so oftentimes using those meds gets, helps us get there. So, all right. So our topic this week is on what's called embryo disposition. Which is inspired by a listener. So, by the way, if y'all have ideas for our podcast, send them in because I was so excited to get this as as a thing for us to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a really great idea. Um, one of my one of my patient uh, couples that I was talking to came in and and had some. You know, they're they're going through a really tough spot, and they they want to know what what can they do with their embryos, and so. Um, this particular couple happens to have quite a few embryos left over that they have not transferred yet. And, and as a reproductive endocrinologist who, along with these patients, has worked really hard to create these embryos, um, it's a really important discussion because they, they used an egg donor. The sperm quality was really good. So they have quite a few embryos left over that are really beautiful embryos in terms of quality. And so question here is, they want to know what they can do with them. And so for us, the formal phrasing is embryo disposition. So, all right, what are our options? So first of all, I'd like to kind of point out that there are certain times that embryos are going to potentially have a future not necessarily inside your womb. Okay, so I think it's good to kind of talk about these because when you kind of sign your IVF consent forms, they're going to mention some of these things. And if, if, if it's the first time you've ever really thought of some of them, it may catch you off guard. So sometimes a person or a couple will decide to dispose of their embryos in one of the ways that we're going to talk about when they've just simply had enough children to complete the size of the family that they want. Um, Abby, what are some of the other things that could lead to embryo disposition? 
Well, I think as you were talking, I was thinking about, I recently had a couple who unfortunately is going through a divorce right now. And, you know, unfortunately we have a contract in place when most patients go through IVF, when patients go through IVF to kind of make sure that they've thought about all the different possibilities. And so kind of a little bit, what you're talking about is if that were to happen to you as a couple, you've got to think about, you know, would I want somebody else to take these embryos and have a child that's genetically half mine without me being involved. And so um, the couple that I spoke with recently that were going through a divorce, it was kind of a very difficult thing because it's kind of one of those things they didn't think was ever going to happen. And now that it's happened, at least one of the partners was not happy with, you know, what was written in the consent. So to answer your question, one of the options that we usually talk about is for research. So, and by research, sometimes it can mean different things at different IVF centers. Some IVF centers do research in-house some IVF centers can send those embryos to a place where they're doing certain types of research on the embryos. And generally, that's, those are pretty limited. In our center, sometimes if patients choose to um, use the embryos to help other people, then sometimes we'll use the embryos to test media and different things like that. So that's kind of potentially what we would do to help other couples and help figure out ways for other embryos to grow. What about you, Carrie? What are your thoughts? Whenever we have someone who wants it to be donated for research, a lot of what we use those embryos for is training our, our embryology staff so that they can do various techniques on embryos that are equivalent to what they would be doing them on in the real world, but, but where there's no stakes. And so if there's a new technique coming out, things like that, that's what they can often get used on. Embryos that are donated for research will never become a, will never get transferred to somebody's uterus. They will never become. Yeah, that's a good point. What they are used for is, like Abby said, very much at the discretion of of the center and that those uses can change over time, depending on when they are needed, because they are, they're something that when a couple is so kind as to say, okay, I want somebody else to benefit by this, you know, they're, they're kept very carefully until whatever use is, is deemed appropriate for those. Um, and so as a couple, you often don't really have a whole lot of specification as to what that is for. But that's something where um, having a conversation with the specific center makes is really a helpful thing. Um, okay, so research is one place that extra embryos can go. What's another place where they can go? So embryos can also be donated and they can be donated to either organizations or clinics in which those embryos can be purchased or adopted, whatever phrase you particularly use. The phrase there, um, it's actually adopted. You cannot buy embryos. So anytime you, you're talking with a clinic about, about embryo adoption, anything that you're paying is just for just for the preparation, because there's a really specific set of testing and all that that we'll talk about in a minute. I didn't mean to interrupt you, Susan, but that's something that's important because you can't, you cannot buy or sell um, those things. It's all, it's all for the processes related to it. Right. Some adoption processes are more um, rigorous, <laughs> rigorous and lengthy than others. Um, there are some that um, very much mimic the adoption process where you have to put in an application and you get selected. There are other processes. And you have that, a home study, which can be pretty involved too. Exactly. Um, whereas there are other processes also where it's much more transactional. 
And so sometimes if somebody is in a situation that they might need donor egg or donor sperm or happen to need both, sometimes people will choose to adopt embryos because they want to give them a chance of life. And um, it also, adopting embryos does tend to be quite a bit less expensive than necessarily going through an entire IVF cycle. Yeah, we, we do that quite frequently in our office. And I think a lot of people sort of have this notion that there's a whole bunch of leftover embryos. And, and Carrie and Susan, I'd be interested for you to speak to it as well. But we generally don't have a large number of embryos that people want to donate for whatever reason. But I will tell you on the receiving end, there are many, 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 many people that would love to adopt those embryos because it is less expensive. And, you know, if your ultimate end is you want a baby, it's really a pretty quick and and fairly successful route to having a baby. And so um, many people want those embryos, but our center, there's about a nine to 12 month wait in order to adopt those embryos, but they're very wanted. And, you know, it also depends a little bit on, you know, kind of how quickly they get adopted also depends on how many constraints you you place. And so we really try our best to honor whatever the donating couple wants. If they want the embryos to only go to couples that live outside a 200 mile radius of Nashville, we try and honor that. If they only want the embryos to go to a certain religious group or, you know, a couple with a certain religion, um, if they want, you know, the ethnicity to be maintained, any of those types of things we try and honor um, since people do donate them with good intentions. And we always make sure that they're aware, even though most of the times for us, it's anonymous. We always want to make sure they're aware that, you know, in this day and age with Ancestry.com and 23andMe, mm-hmm. it may not remain anonymous forever. So even though they may, their intentions may be for them not to have interaction with the child that results from these embryos down the road, you know, we can really no longer promise that because that's really kind of out of our hands um, once the child grows up and is able to do those sorts of tests. Oftentimes when embryos have been donated, um, there's a wait period that the clinic puts in place. I know ours is a couple of months where it gives people a chance to make the decision, act on it. And then and then there's a buffering period so that if something changes, we can, the embryos have not gone out immediately, have not been promised immediately. Um, there are some things as a clinic that we need to do whenever we have a couple that decides to donate embryos um, because we do have to follow the FDA regulations of anybody who's going, who's using donated sperm, eggs, or embryos to, uh, or the sperm and eggs that have made those embryos. We have to make sure that we've gone through the testing for the FDA. And so that means a physical exam. It means a specific set of blood tests sent through a specific FDA certified laboratory, um, as well as going through a questionnaire. And the goal of that is just to make sure that the recipient has an idea of any risks that they may be undertaking. Um, Typically, that's all pretty mild, pretty painless, but it is a step that we have to go through so that we are following all of the appropriate rules to keep everybody involved safe. All right, so you can donate embryos to another couple. You can donate embryos to research. Um, what else? What's the All three of us, I can see, are kind of cringing at, at the next thing that we know is coming, but all right, Susan, out with it. What else can we do with them? You can discard your embryos which essentially means that your embryos will be taken out of the freezer, they will thaw, and then they will be disposed of as they would be in the lab. Yeah. 
Um, and that means, that means for sure they're not, they're not going anywhere. They're not doing anything. It's just, it is a collection of cells that is no longer kept in conditions where they can survive. And I will say sometimes in our office, and we don't do this very often, and only if somebody you know really, truly wants to do this, we've had patients at times that, you know, they don't really want to be pregnant again, but they don't really feel comfortable discarding their embryos or giving them to someone else. So sometimes we'll do a transfer, you know, maybe at a time when they're not on hormone replacement therapy, maybe we do it at a time when maybe it's not quite as likely for them to get pregnant, but they feel better with us doing a transfer and having those embryos in their own body. And again, that's kind of on a case-by-case basis. That's not, not something we do commonly, but that's we call that a compassionate transfer is what how we refer to it. I would say overall, it's, it's actually not that often that any of us have any cause to discard embryos. It's certainly never anything that is done lightly because there has been a huge investment. And yes, that, that's typically associated with the financial part, but in our world, the investment is physical and emotional and psychological. And so there's lots of discussion that goes into any of this before, before this all happens. One thing that I would like to mention, this is kind of advice that I give to my patients when they're coming to me about embryo disposition and also realize that a lot of the times at the point that you're thinking about doing something other than getting pregnant with your embryos, uh, a lot of patients, they've gone on, they've had their families, they're not necessarily talking to their reproductive endocrinologist anymore and realize we're still here for you guys. So if y'all ever want to come and talk about this, even though you're not thinking about getting pregnant, we're, we're happy to help. But generally, one thing that I recommend is, you know, embryo storage, it's not cheap, but it isn't crazy expensive, especially for one year. And what I encourage my patients to do is at the point that they are, they think that they are done with their embryo or embryos is to wait one more year. And, and if into that year, you still feel absolutely the same way, then do whatever you want. Um, I think all of us have probably seen embryos disposed of perhaps a little early. And we've, I'm sure we've all had patients who just had patients who have disposed embryos and then they come back later because something happened or they changed their mind and now they're doing a whole nother cycle and we would have had embryos that we could use. So when I give people that advice, it's just because I, I really have seen people dispose of embryos after, you know, they've delivered their baby and their baby's two or three months old. And I'm like, oh, this isn't the time to be making a major life decision. <laughs> and granted, it's not my decision, but I, you know, we, we work in a world that we don't want you to have any regret. And that's kind of where that recommendation comes. What, what do you guys tell your patients? Yeah, I think that's advisable to wait. And particularly if you've just had a baby, we all know, having had children, that those first few months are rough. And you, you know, sometimes you think, oh my gosh, there's no way I can do this again. And you know, I think a, a cooling off period or waiting period is a great idea. And that's what I'm trying try to encourage too with my patients. Although a lot of times if they're in the midst of taking care of a new baby or babies, like you said, they don't really come back to us and ask our advice. Um, but I think waiting is a reasonable thing to do because I just think you're kind of, if you have a baby or babies, you're kind of under duress, you're tired, you're probably not making great decisions and it's probably worth your time and money to pay another year of storage and, and, and make that decision. And, you know, I will say again, like I said before, you know, we'll help you in any way, try and, you know, even if you say, I don't really want to get pregnant with those embryos myself, you know, and it's, obviously it's your decision if they're your embryos, but, you know, there's lots of different things. I've even had patients 
which I'm not necessarily advising this, but I've had lots of patients that have even gone online and have found I mean, several patients I can think of have been in chat rooms with couples who'd been trying to get pregnant and have even elected to donate their embryos to certain couples that they sort of vetted and talked to and felt comfortable with. So there's lots of different ways that, you know, these embryos can be used. And I can't speak for Carrie or Susan, but I, I always feel really sad when a couple has embryos and they and they discard them because it's just, like you said, so much time and effort has been put into those embryos. And, you know, I think we all know so many people that would love to have those embryos and, and be so grateful if, if they were able to get those embryos. One additional thing that I wanted to mention is that what you do with your embryos is it is such a personal soul searching decision and you and your partner, if you have a partner, are the only ones who are going to know what that right decision is for you. And you may choose just to pay for your embryos to have storage indefinitely. And I know people who do that and that's okay. But when you're sitting there struggling with it and you don't know what's the right decision, then it's probably not exactly the right time. Because I think when you know what the right decision is for you, you're going to feel it. And if you're not feeling it, then I would say pay that $600 this year and think about it next year. (laughs) There's actually one other discussion around embryo disposition, and this is the legal discussion around it. And this is what happens when you have a couple that no longer are going to be together and having a child together is off the table, but they had a hard time getting pregnant for whatever reason they had to do IVF and they have these embryos and they are separating and going their separate ways. And so sometimes we have legal decisions handed to us of this is where these embryos are going. And of course, those are always done in the courts and and it's the two parties working with each other to figure out where, where they want to go, what's going to happen. And um, I know we're really particular about... Anytime we transfer an embryo, even if you went through an embryo transfer last month, we're going to make everybody sign those documents all over again. Mm-hmm. Because life happens. And sometimes life happens really quickly. And so one of the ways that you can tell communicate with us, um, particularly if, if two people are not communicating super well on a sit down in the office and hash it out level, is you work out legally and you say, okay, we are separating and we want you know, partner A or partner B to get the embryos. And these are the conditions under which they can transfer. And, and that, that also happens. And so, um, you know, please forgive us when we're really kind of anal retentive about the paperwork, because we never want to transfer an embryo in the wrong situation. And that has a lot of different um, meanings to it. When, and one of those is we don't want to make someone a parent who doesn't want to be a parent. Um, in the same way that we would never want to transfer, you know, an embryo that belonged to the wrong couple that was genetically abnormal, like all of the different things that can happen, you know, that's one that weighs heavily on our minds. And so um, I think all of us have had situations where a couple has decided they are no longer going to be together. One of them really wants the embryos, the other doesn't. It's a stalemate in our office. And so we just say, great. Let, you know, whenever you guys get it figured out legally, you give us the documents and we will go forward with that. So those are, those tend to be long drawn out discussions. And in many of those cases, it doesn't matter whether someone has had, even if they use both an egg donor and a sperm donor to create those embryos. So there's not a biological connection to them. 
the intent to parent together was still there. And so as a result, if you have you know, one person providing the eggs, but a donor providing the sperm or vice, vice versa, where you've got a sperm, you know, sperm provider who's going to parent and an egg provider who is a donor, it still doesn't matter. If they have created them together, they're considered that couple's embryos. And, and as a result, any decisions that are made have to be approved by both halves of that couple. When we're talking about transferring, discarding, donating, whatever it may be, we need to know from both halves that this is a decision that they both agree with. Mm-hmm. A lot to talk about. <laughs> and the other thing that I think is on many of our consent forms is if one person should pass away, what do you want us to do with those embryos? Um, and so there's a lot of existential questioning that comes into place when those consent forms are signed frequently. Um, and please know that we're not trying to put things out in the universe that are big, bad, and ugly. Um, but it's just that we have all been doing this long enough that we have seen all the iterations of what can happen. And we really just want to make it as smooth as possible when the unthinkable happens of how do we just say, all right, here we go. This is what, you know, you guys already talked about it. You decided about it. Great. Let's move forward with whatever, whatever that may be. And you can always change your mind. It's got to be communicated to us, but you can always change your mind. Um, we just... You know, that's part of the reason why the paperwork at IVF clinics is is legit because there is a lot of it and we want to know exactly what you want us to do. Yeah. Big topics today. Good stuff. Good things, things we need to talk about. So everybody knows what what's what's going on there. Any last, you know, corner of the brain thoughts that you're thinking as we've been talking? Well, just to echo what you said, really think carefully when you sign your IVF documents because I'm sure every infertility center in the country has you sign those kind of documents about disposition. And like Carrie just said, you may not think at the time that that's going to happen to you, but you just don't know. So just make sure you think carefully and clearly before you decide on how you want the disposition of your embryos to go um, if you end up not using them. Because those are the standing legal documents unless something else has been drawn up in the future. Yeah. All right. Well, to our audience, thank you so much for listening. And we are so grateful when when you give us these great ideas for topics because it's really helpful for us to know what you want to hear about and and the things that you've come across in your treatment. And you're like, man, I really wish I had more information on this. So thank you so much for the ideas. We are very grateful for that. Um, Be sure to tune in next week for more and be sure to subscribe and leave us a message in iTunes. We would love to hear from you. So don't hold back. The more embarrassing, the better. I think that's the end. We'll talk with you later. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.